To Be a Yogi. I'm Edward Reeb, producer and host of the To Be a Yogi podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing Niraj Shah, founder of The Present of Yoga, or tpoyoga.com, based in London. Hey, welcome to the To Be A Yogi podcast. Hey, Edward. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good, good. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your name? Sure, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I've actually been waiting a long time for somebody to ask, to ask me that oh, question. Um, <laughs> People don't ask it enough because it seems yeah, rude, no, no. but I think it's a good question if it's asked in the right way. <laughs> exactly. No, nobody's ever asked me that before, but uh, I'm, so I'm, I'm Indian of origin. I'm British born, but my roots are Indian. So mm -hmm. all Indian, all Indian names have a meaning. Um, mine actually has a Sanskrit root, which means water born. And mm. it's often translated as lotus. Ah, so that's interesting. It reminds me of Padma Sambhava, lotus born. Mm, there you go. There you go. Kind of an interesting So connection. it was actually the reason it's so interesting for me is because growing up in the UK, I really didn't like my name as a kid because it's not anglicized and right. it's different. And so you don't fit in. And as a kid, every kid just wants to fit in. Yeah. Um, I really didn't have a great relationship with my name. But then as I grew up, I kind of stopped caring about it. And now that I'm so involved in yogic circles, actually, people think it's pretty cool. So it's quite nice the way it's come full circle. Yeah, that's good. It's been waiting, waiting for you the whole time to discover it in a way. Exactly. That's cool. I have uh, two friends who are, are both from Yemen and they live in Israel. And, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a particular way that, that, that there's a difference in pronunciation of specifically the letter ayin. There's an emphasis put on it that was lost like 2,000 years ago. They stopped pronouncing it that way Every, everywhere in the world except for Yemen. So they're actually speaking something much closer to original Hebrew than anyone else in the world. And they know it. And everybody knows it, but but the people who come from Yemen or our second generation will start speaking like the other kids in high school because they don't want to be picked on. Some of them will, but the others will say, you know what, I'm going to pronounce it correctly. And if, if people want to make fun of me for pronouncing Hebrew correctly, that's their problem. So I always ask people when, when they tell me that they're uh, originally from Yemen, but they live in Israel, I say, okay, let me hear your ayin. <laughs> and they always laugh. <laughs> So, but yeah, it's two, two different approaches. Like, well, I want to blend in or, well, actually I'm going to be myself because I represent something, you know? Exactly. And as a kid, I think most kids want to blend in because when you're separate from the pack, that's when you get picked on yeah. and ostracized. Those things, it comes down to basic human nature. Um, Mammalian even, yeah. You know, if, if we go, go back to our... Uh, animalistic roots. Um, if you're separate from the pack on the on the plane on the savannah, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. So hence why we've got a nature to fit in. But I think when we get older and find our voice, or or if we find our voice, then actually it, you see it's pretty cool being different. I, I grew up in England, so and uh, I went to a very English school. So mm -hmm. uh, yoga, but but I grew up in the Indian community. We we have a we have a strong Indian community here. So. We did a little bit of asana practice as a kid, um, you know, as part part of just uh, 
part of life, if you like, but but it wasn't a specific, hey, this is a yoga class or this is a yoga practice. Right. It's just part of the DNA, if you like. Yeah. And then in adolescence, I forgot all about that and lived my 20s. And when I got to my late 20s, I started looking after my health significantly better because that's when health caught up with yeah. me. <laughs> In the sense that, you know, you can no longer get away with late nights and heavy drinking. And, and go to work the next day, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that kind of worked till I was about 27 and then, then, then suddenly this spare tire appeared. So that was a point where I started realizing, uh, thinking, well, hang on, there's this thing called yoga and it would be a really good thing for me to do uh, alongside weight training and cardio and all these other things I was doing. Mm-hmm. But it just never happened because it was so low down the priority list and there was never enough time to do everything right. so so that entered my consciousness but but where it where i got into it where i started practicing it was it was literally forced upon me and by that what i mean is at the age of 30 out of nowhere i had a stroke full blown stroke um it was the weirdest thing ever because I was, by anyone's measure, I was reasonably healthy. I wasn't stressed. There's no hereditary. Um, there, there's, we've done a lot of tests since, and nobody knows why it happened. But the most important thing is that I'm totally fine now. Mm-hmm. Um, however, my stroke consultant made it very clear to me when I was recovering that the only physical activity he wanted me to do was yoga. So mm-hmm. that's why I was actually forced down this road. Uh, so, so. I had to recover physically. I had to relearn how to walk. And as soon as I was able to do that, I went to our our local yoga center near near where we stay. And it's actually just happens to be one of the best Iyengar centers in London. And I, yeah, you know, it's funny how these things work out. Um, And I went and did a six week foundation course there um, just, just to pick up the basic asana and, and relearn. Um, I remember after my very first session, I, I had a very profound moment where I immediately after the session, I thought I've just done something amazing for my body. It felt so good. Um, and I was in a very, very dark place mentally and physically at this point. Yeah. Um, so I did the six week course and then, then I never went back because I wasn't really interested in socializing. I, I was trying to reconcile what had happened to me. Um, and it became a at home practice, which my mother-in-law is actually a very experienced yoga teacher. So she spent a bit of time talking to me. She, she gave me a couple of books. I had that. I had the childhood practice. I had the Iyengar basics. Um, and I found a couple of things on YouTube and that that's for, for several years after that, it became a self practice, which wasn't that wasn't something I chose to do but it was actually a set of circumstances which were almost forced on me we all go to a yoga class for a reason there's always something that takes us there whatever it is and it's uncanny how many of those reasons are because we're trying to solve something whether it's physical mental whatever yeah it's it's rarely rarely does someone have the idea hey that looks like it's really fun or cool that, that, that doesn't seem to be the case, even though it is both of those things. Yeah, it's like you have to go down the wrong road first in order to realize, oh, that's why they told me not to go that way. <laughs> that This seems like a much better wholesome, you know, the, I can get three or four different main things in life out of it that I've been trying to get out of all these other things that are actually destructive. Yeah. Oh, that that's such a good description. And that's such a great example because it's, 
whatever we're doing, we're looking for a feeling. We're really buying something, whether we're spending our time doing something, we're looking for yeah. either a feeling or because we think it's going to give us a feeling. And one of the reasons that um, I, I haven't drank alcohol for a couple of years now, and that's it's, it's not a judgmental thing. I've got no problem with that. I, t I totally get it. I, I used to drink plenty of alcohol, so it's, it's never... It's never because I think it's better. It, it was there was a whole different set of circumstances that led to that. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons why I've continued not to drink it, um, it ultimately comes down to because I don't want to. But I'm getting so many of the feelings I used to get from that from other places now, which are more wholesome. Yeah, and, and that's just that's just evolution. I I didn't know any better before, and it's it's just what works for me. Even the experience of the group dynamic, you know, when you have a good class where you know, everybody's saying OM together, it kind of fulfills that, it's fulfilling, you know, you're with people, you're, right. you all know why you're there, you all just have the same experience. It's the community aspect which uh, which which can be, you know, for, for, for some people that's a really strong draw. For, for me, it never really was because I spent so long away from yeah. the yoga but, but But I totally get for, you know, especially sissies like London, they're very isolating actually, and this is a way to have community. So I founded The Presence of Yoga, which is a, um, online platform which mm -hmm. is designed to empower yoga teachers with practical usable business skills philosophies tactics strategies and the way that we do that is by sharing the stories of other yogis and extracting the business philosophy the the, the specific skills the resources um it's it's something that i noticed was really lacking in the yoga world and where it comes from is that a, there's a bit of a dichotomy anyway. I, I, I think there's a lot of issues around reconciling this ancient pure spiritual practice with the commerciality and, and, and industrialized nature of it. Yeah. Uh, but the reality that we choose to acknowledge is that if somebody wants to teach yoga in the West as their main vocation, then they need to put food on the table yeah. and there's so many effective ways to do that, but they're not being shared effectively. This conversation happens at a word of mouth level and it happens at a localized level. And it blew my mind that there was no go-to platform like on a global level for that. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of why we built it. And what I've since discovered, I mean, it's, it's very, very new. We just launched 12 weeks ago today, and I only decided to even do this on the 1st of June, so less than six months ago. What's the and name of it, the, of the website? The Presence of Yoga. The Presence of TPO Yoga. Yeah, tpoyoga.com. TPO uh, Yoga, The Presence of Yoga. Got it. The, the Present, The Present of Yoga. Oh, The Present, yeah. P-R-E-S-E-N-T. That's right. Yeah. And, and what, what we're doing there is referencing the, the present as in the present as in time, present day. Be here present now. In, yeah. Yeah. Present as in gift and present as in consciousness. And all, all of those things are relevant. Mm. So, yeah. And, and what, what I was saying was since since we launched this thing and started getting feedback and engagements and all of those things, it's confirmed what I suspected, which is that. 90% of the obstacles and issues that a yoga teacher would have in London are the same as what they have in LA, as the same as what they have in Hong Kong or Sydney or, or a, a number of different towns. So, so I'm, it, it's been vindicated in that sense. So 2010, I had the stroke and that forced me into yoga practice and I immediately connected with it and it started 
it became something I did two or three times a week as part of my rehabilitation initially. And then it just became a habit because it felt so good. And once I started getting back into physical things like weight training and cardio training and, and whatever else, it became the perfect complement. It did, as, as you would know, and other yogis would know, it, it's just so complementary to all of those things. So that, that's what it became for, for the next sort of 12 to 18 months. And then when I started my first business, it, that, that's the point it became a, a daily practice or, or more accurately a nightly practice because all of a sudden yoga practice was the only thing that would calm my uh, mind down enough to let me sleep. So I started practicing pretty much every night for around 20 to 30 minutes and it was from that point on that it became a daily practice. And And, and by this point, I had rehabilitated fully physically i was well on the way to my mental emotional recovery and uh, i was extremely busy launching my first business and and do, doing other things and it just never occurred to me to go to a studio it just although we've seen a lot of studios spring up in in london as has happened around the world it just never really occurred to me it never appealed to me it never entered my consciousness um so because i had this self-practice that that it was just something I did at home. And then fast forward a few years, the first business went pretty well. It's a real estate business. And uh, it just, you know, I worked very hard and made, made that work. And I started thinking about what are my next steps. And about a year and a half ago, I decided I really want to do something in the well-being space because that had become my lifestyle. Of, of course, after suffering the kind of trauma that I had, I went and found out everything about health and well-being and all, all these things. You know, I read so much and pra it brought these things into my life like juicing and clean eating and uh, breath work and yoga and meditation more latterly. And I decided actually that's the area I want to play in. So I spent the best part of a year getting to know that area. And what I mean by that is I started advising a couple of businesses in that space. We, we invested in a couple of businesses because my, my wife and I, we, we invest in businesses as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that That's something else that I'd kind of did. Did developed whilst I had my corporate career uh, before all this happened. And um, I, I'd never thought of doing anything in the yoga space. It was, just, again, just something that I did, and it was a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. And it's only in May of this year that I started getting curious about yoga as an industry. And as soon as I did that, it really blew my mind again that we have this multi-billion dollar industry that has so much growth ahead of it because essentially what we're addressing here is stress and stress is only on the increase in the developing and developing right. world. Yeah, and everything and, else is going to get taken over by robots. Yeah, yeah which will probably cause more stress. Um, yeah. And, uh, so... I, you know, multi-billion dollar industry, very inefficient, behind the technology curve, um, dominated by lots of small players. So actually, it just seemed economically really smart place to go. But also, everything that I've done in my life has kind of pointed me that way in terms of being forced into the practice, in ter terms of um, uh, creating the initial business that's now given me the freedom to p pursue this. And um, it became really obvious within a week of looking at this, that this is a space I need to do something in this. This is going to be my life's work now. Mm. So where the presence of yoga came from was really simple. Um, I, I now knew that I wanted to do something in yoga, but I had no real relationships in yoga. I knew about three or four people in yoga, and I didn't know anything about the industry or understand it anywhere, anywhere near as well as I needed to. So 
the presence of yoga became the answer to the question, what can I create of value that will also give me the relationships that I'm looking for and give me the understanding that I'm looking for? And it, it's given all of my background in business, investment, um, uh, you know, having one foot in, in things like that, but also be, being a yogi for a number of years and really understanding the practice and the philosophy and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that's an interesting bridge. And then also having one foot in, in the East with my Indian roots and Indian culture, but one foot in the West, having been bought, born in the UK and brought, brought up in the West and lived in the West my whole life. It just seemed really obvious. This is the place that I can add value. Yeah. And once I'd spoken to a couple of yoga teachers, it became really obvious that 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 we can create something that they would probably find useful. So, so that that's what we did. We, we is I have a couple of co-founders um, that, that that I wanted to work with, and uh, so June the first we decided we're doing this thing. September 29th we launched, which was 12 weeks ago. So it's all it's all very new, but we've just had a really good start, really good people involved, and um, really excited about where we'll go next year. Nice. So that's that's filling in the blanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Do you also teach? I, I don't, but I get asked that an awful lot. Uh, <laughs> it's re- it's re- really interesting, Edward, actually. Um, within about three days of deciding to do this thing, I had to re-engage with the yoga community because I, I'd, I'd been outside of the studio system for, for the, those six years mm-hmm. and, and also ba- barely been in it in the first place because I just went to that foundation course and that was it. So um, what's interesting is within about three days of deciding to do this i don't know whether it's the vibe i'm giving off or whether it's whether it's something else but i've had so many people approach me and ask me if i teach so i i don't teach but i think it's inevitable that in in the future i will nice and you'll you'll definitely be coming from a good place as far as awareness of how to effectively make that business happen given your background and given the, the resources you've brought together in the form of other people's experiences so it, it yeah. sounds so- Totally. Like a very good foundation. Yeah, t- totally. And actually, a really important point is, um, a- a- as and when I do teach in the future, it won't be it won't be something I do vocationally. I'll I'll do it because I want to share. Because nice. the nice thing about my situation is that my income comes from other sources. Now it yeah. comes from my other business. That so does help. Actually, actually, I can just teach to teach, and that 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 will be nice. What have you learned so far working with these various teachers about the business of yoga teaching? I'll, I'll try and distill it to two or three useful things. Um, I, th- I think the main thing that we've learned is we've spoken to a lot of new teachers who've newly or recently qualified. And the situation in London is quite similar to the situation in L.A. and New York and other cities where there's a real oversupply of new yoga teachers and not really enough studios for them to teach in. And there's almost a bit of disillusionment now amongst newer yoga teachers that they can't get into these studios and they're not really sure what to do. So the main learnings we've had is that there are several other areas that they can look at and develop um, outside of the studio system. I, I think it's really good for teachers to teach in studios. I think that's that's a necessary step. But if that's the if that's the sole income source or the main income source, it's not really sustainable because teachers will end up teaching too many classes, not making enough money, and as a result, they will just burn out, which is the 
in, in my opinion, with again, without being judgmental, it's the most hypocritical thing that can happen to a yoga teacher. But as you and I know, it happens all the time. Does that right. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, in terms of what we've done is we've shared a lot of stories of teachers doing other complementary things or they found really interesting niches like teaching in schools or building a strong private class practice or you know in a new year we'll be talking to someone who's teaching in in, in prisons um and uh, then then there's you know teaching kids older adults uh combining it with complementary activities like building a um nutritional practice alongside your yoga teaching practice um how, how to run retreats how to um you know if somebody's this way inclined then how, how to even start a studio and, and just really, really trying to unlock all these opportunities so coming back to the actual question what, what have i learned i think the most important one is that when a new yoga teacher qualifies it's really important that they teach that there's a temptation to put it off and put it off because they don't feel ready but i think it's so important to just teach anyone who you can force to come to a lesson <laughs> and what that means is you know if you have to teach one person in your kitchen and it's your best friend or your mother or whoever teach that person yeah. and, and just do a few lessons because that's where the experience kicks in and that's how you can find your voice and refine and get the experience to to actually improve um so i think it's really really important to if you want to teach, just teach, and it's as simple as that, and it builds from there. Um, that's really important, I, I would say, is the probably the main piece of advice. The, the, the other one, which is equally important, is go and get to know other yoga teachers in your locality. And the best way to do that is go to other classes and speak to the teacher afterwards and let them know who you are and what you're doing and suggest that you might take them out for a juice or a coffee afterwards and and get the benefit of their experiences and and there's two reasons why that's really important that the first is by going to that class you can see how somebody else is teaching and now now you'll start understanding the structure of what they're doing so it builds your experience but the but the other is just like shortcutting having to go through those lessons yourself because every one of those teachers who, who look super polished and super experienced they've all been a new teacher and usually not that long ago only a matter of a few years ago so actually in, in the nice thing about the yoga community is that most people are really generous and willing to you know give up 30 40 minutes of their time to, to talk, talk talk to somebody as long as they can see you're sincere and all the rest of it so i, th- I think that those two are the two that i probably want to share the most the thing that I really want to do is to have a bunch of people in a room saying "Om," <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, yeah. but but they don't do that at Crunch. So so what I've, I've been drilling and learning and teaching week in, week out is the power yoga, you know, uh, which is kind of like the part that I don't like as much, but it's, of course, really good for you. And, you know, you might find our platform useful for you mm-hmm. because. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there shared by, uh, you know, so, sort of re- reasonably established teachers now, but but guys who haven't been around more than a few years. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, uh, we did a video interview with one of London's like most awesome teachers, a lady called Celeste Pereira. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about, um, you know, the, the, the teaching in gyms is a necessary step now because it mu- it's not what any yoga teacher really wants to do for, for, for similar reasons to what you've said, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't half 
develop your skills as a teacher so that when you, um, it, you know, eventually the opportunities at studios come up or whatever and, and you want a bunch of people saying ohm, you've developed all of those, um, you know, skills in terms of uh, sequences and cueing and music and dealing with problems and all of those things so that you so it just makes you a damn good teacher. Yeah. Because the, there's two two things she shared about uh, that gym crowd. Uh, one is that a lot of them aren't yogis, so so you've got more room for um, you know you've got more room for potential small errors because they they won't really know that it's an error, which is nice. Right. You've got a, you've got a more forgiving crowd is is the thing, and and the other is that. Um, it, it's uh, at the end, you know, t- teaching is teaching. It, it might not be exactly what you want to do, but eighty percent of it will be similar to, uh, at least structurally similar to what you would teach if you if you could teach anything you wanted. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you know, the, the, there's some really good stuff on there that you might find useful. And also, in the um, in the new year, we've got quite a bit of US content coming up because my co-founder Dory, uh, one of my two co-founders, she's based in LA. She's a teacher in Venice. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it, like like it will be a little bit more relevant because it's US, but actually all the stuff that we're sharing, it's all globally relevant anyway. Like, like as I said, 80% of what, what comes up for a London teacher is similar to what comes up to a New York, for a New York teacher. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the To Be A Yogi podcast today. Well, look, thank you once again. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And in a couple of years, if I'm in London, I'll come to one of your classes at your studio and uh, vice versa if you come to LA. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. But but by then I might even be teaching and have a studio. So yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Namaste. Thank you, Niraj, for being our guest on the To Be A Yogi podcast tonight. Those who are new yoga teachers might be interested in checking out his website at tpoyoga.com. And uh, if you are one of the 70 to 90 or whatever it is percent of yoga studios who are going to be using mind body online software check out our sister podcast myself and christopher james at the better ways podcast on itunes or your favorite podcasting platform there's an introductory episode but the first interview episode will be coming out sometime in january or possibly late december Christopher James and I interviewed Blake Beltram, co-founder of MindBody Online. Special thanks to Brian Dahl for providing the background music to this podcast, the music you're listening to right now. And when I was mentioning the Better Ways podcast, you heard the song Better Ways. It was a Coric MU Productions collaborative. Thank you all for tuning in. Namaste.